0: Welcome to another episode of Shoot the Takedown with me, Costa Rossi, alongside John Hobbs. On this episode, we have the pleasure of interviewing MMA manager and CEO of Dodge Sports, Matt Dodge.
1: So Matt, I just want to um, kick it off by uh, giving the um, giving the listeners over in the UK a little bit of a background on you. So tell us who Matt Dodge is and, and what makes him tick, really.
2: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the platform. Um, Matt Dodge. Yeah. Uh, hardworking, driven, um, kind of the immigrant mentality. I, I come from a family of Italian immigrants. Um, so hard work is in my blood by, by design. Um, with respect to, to what I do today as an MMA manager uh, and owner of, of Dodge Sports, which represents some of the top mixed martial arts Fighters in the world today. Um, you know, it started when I was 18 years old back in uh, New York City. Got to work for a small-time NFL agent there who didn't have any clients and um, had an opportunity to prospect and try and find some guys that were flying under the radar and just you know get my recruiting hat on and my sales hat on and make something happen. And um, that year we ended up signing a a seventh round draft pick. And from there kind of catapulted me into this crazy wild, wild west of sports agency where I jumped from a couple different agencies in the NFL to eventually landing uh, in the MMA world at a few agencies. And now today uh, owning and operating Dodge Sports, which uh, has been the case now for the last three years.
1: that sounds great so any prospects for picking up any um uk fighters have you seen anyone that uh, takes your fancy
2: you know it's funny you ask because we are uh one of the agents that works at at dodge sports michael um he is he bugs me often about uk talent, um cage wars talent and we haven't had much of a foothold out there in past years, mainly because we focus on kind of the North American market for the most part. Um, but as the agency is growing, we're getting more uh, resources on our side. We are looking into that. So we have a, an entire data and over the last couple of weeks, we've spent a little bit of time. So next time we talk, I'll probably have a few more
1: it's a good excuse to get over to the UK for
0: your uh, for your honeymoon isn't it and
2: uh, it sure yeah. it sure it sure is
0: and um just leading on from that so from your standpoint what how does working with a variety of MMA organizations across the world differ I know you're focused on the North American market but um Obviously, we've got, you know, the UFC is the biggest brand out there uh, in terms of mixed martial arts. How do they compare to some of the smaller organizations? Does it make things harder for you to do, easier? Um, how how would you compare the variety
2: out there? Well, there is a lot of variety. The pandemic kind of uh, put a halt to a lot of the growing regional-based organizations, especially here in, in, in the United States. Um, but for those who were able to, you know, Uh, strap on their seatbelt and, and, and just deal with it and get through it. They're coming out on the other side, bigger and stronger than ever. I'll say that the, the regional shows in the United States and even across the world, before you get into any of the big players, like the UFC, Bellator, PFL, some of these others that are, that are starting to cement their places, the number two, number three, number four organizations in the world, the organizations like, you know, the regional ones, they are so vital to all of the development of our clients. Without them, our clients wouldn't be ready to take that step into the UFC um, or even some of the bigger organizations. So it's really important from a management standpoint to develop those relationships um, to, to to make sure that, you know, you're putting your that cage time to get themselves ready for those big opportunities. Now, you know, no, as of right now, no one has really been able to compete with the UFC and their marketing and what they do. Of course, Bellator and PFL are starting to take a little piece of that, but um, you know, they're still nowhere to be close to, to where the UFC is. So it's important for me to kind of educate a lot of our fighters that there are other opportunities out there outside of the UFC where you can gain a lot of great experience, and truthfully make a pretty darn good living at what you're doing and do what you love, as you start to buy time and and hope for that that big opportunity with the UFC. But it's nice to see a lot of these other shows internationally too, really starting to make some moves and 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 cut into uh, cut into that really large market share.
0: And I think that's also quite an important part of it, is it not? I think um, some fighters, you know, they might be so focused on getting to the UFC, getting to Bellator. From your standpoint, is it important to sort of educate and communicate with your clients about timing, maybe not rushing into that too quickly, biding your time? I know there's been a few um, athletes over here. Uh, Paddy, who's recently joined the UFC, actually was an example where he was offered opportunities earlier in his career to join the UFC and he said he's not ready. So he took, he carried on, um, sharpening his skill set outside of that, and he's just recently signed with the UFC. Is that also an important part of what you
2: do, making sure they're ready and not jumping at the opportunity too early? It's probably one of the most important conversations I need to have as a manager, and um, you live and learn, but those conversations actually are best to happen really early in someone's professional career, even when they're amateurs, to just set them up for success far too many times, uh, and you're going to see it every single weekend in the UFC, by the way, Um, Mm -hmm. far too many times fighters will take the opportunity that is presented in front of them because they think that that is their lottery ticket, right? They think that that is their opportunity to jump. And I wish more fighters had the mentality that Patty has um, because you're in this for the long haul. You're you're at least you should be. You should be in this to to, to build a career, a long-lasting career where you're able to set yourself up financially and your family financially for really the rest of your life. And if you do things correctly, you trust the process, you're on a good path forward to do that. But if you take a shortcut, just like anything in life, you take a shortcut you're, you're, you're bound to get nipped in the butt, and oftentimes you're seeing fighters who take opportunities on two, three days, sometimes even 12-hour notice, right? They get in there, they lose a fight in the first round, and now they're 0-1 in the UFC, and truth be told, it's so competitive now. You go 0-2 in the UFC to start your career— It's pretty much a pink slip for you to get cut and move to another organization. And then you're back to where you were from a regional standpoint. you got to go back to regional fights. You've got to fight two or three more times just to prove that you deserve to be at that same level again. So we try to instill patience, um, trusting of the process, and just controlling what you can control because that is really all you can do. You have to put yourself in positions to be successful but trust the process and don't rush it if you want a long, if you want long-term growth and and prosperity in the sport.
0: Seems like great advice to me. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: I can think of a a few fighters who come into the UK with, the UK, sorry, UFC with, um, you know, with a bit of, um, a bit of momentum behind them. I remember uh, Sage Northcott when he came in and everyone was talking about what a big deal he was and he had some wins and then he had a couple of notable losses, didn't he? And it kind of, it kind of changed people's sort of perspective a little bit. And um, I think one of the things that was commented then by a number of guys was that there's no easy fights at that level. And if you haven't built up your your, your sort of portfolio by the time you enter, it can be a pretty harsh lesson, can't it? And um, it can derail your, your momentum pretty quickly.
2: Without a doubt. This sport is, what, 95% mental, right? Uh, somewhere between 90 to and 95% mental. And you want to be putting yourself in positions that more often than not, you'll be successful, right? And if you don't have, um, you know, the experience of slowly building, taking the step up when it's necessary, right? Um, I'm not saying take a safe route, right? Um, But I'm saying take the right route, the one that progresses you so that when you do get to that level, you're in a position to be successful. And if you don't and you're in a and you're in a you're in a fight that stylistically or matchup wise is not ideal right um and you lose that fight i'll tell you what that's the blueprint now for everybody to use when they're going to be fighting you so your life just got a whole lot harder in the ufc plus your and one you know it, a lot of this is 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 mental right and taking an l um or a loss when you know previously everybody's been telling you you're the greatest thing ever and you've been winning it, it, sometimes it it mentally defeats people and i think in sage's case you know the type of the the types of losses that he had who he lost to it's not that he's not skilled i think it just wasn't the right time for him and he ended up taking a couple steps backward and you know it affected his career
1: yeah i mean he's a he, tremendous athlete and you know you, you know you couldn't fault him coming through um but i think a few people did Sort of comment. I think some some of the older uh, coaches did sort of comment that he was maybe, you know, maybe a little bit young, experience wise, to be um, to be sort of thrown in at that level. But obviously, like you say, it's it's a lottery ticket. You know, you offered it. A lot of guys are just gonna gonna go for it. Um, it's interesting when you look at some of the other guys. Um, and you see the MMA record and then you see their the kickboxing record and they've got dozens and dozens of fights. So they've got a lot of fight experience. So they've got a lot of ring craft about them. And they may not have had a huge MMA career, but they might have had a significant Muay Thai or kickboxing career. So they've got that, that understanding of longevity in the sport. You know, If you don't understand ring craft, you're not going to have longevity in, in Muay Thai, definitely. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I just could mention something else to you as well. And um, you mentioned about everybody's rushing for UFC and um, people aren't appreciating the smaller promotions. I'm thinking back sort of, you know, 20 years, when, 20 years ago when the UFC wasn't so prolific. Um, I found that I was watching all the smaller events all the time because there was no, I mean, UFC would have an event every couple of months. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in MMA, you have to check out all those smaller events all the time to kind of get your fix, didn't you? But um, UFC is so prolific now, you know, with the number of events they run. I think it kind of overshadows some of those smaller events like like King of the Cage, like the Cage Warriors that have been running for 20 years or more anyway. You know, they're not yeah. new events, are they? They've, they? they've been out there creating fighters for, for decades, haven't they?
2: you're exactly right um and the pandemic just bolstered the ufc stance on that right um i don't think there's a professional organization on the planet that did a better job during the pandemic than the ufc Mm -hmm. they took advantage of an opportunity where there were a lot of people at home and a lot of eyes on tv screens and streams and they took full advantage of that now with that being said you know the UFC is, is a smart business in the sense that UFC Fight Pass, they're doubling down on that and they're investing a lot of resources. So here stateside and actually even in the, in the UK now and in and, and other parts of the world, UFC Fight Pass is starting to pick up some of these, these organizations and give them that platform to be readily available. And one thing that I like that these regional shows are doing now are these Thursday and Friday cards, right? LFA in the United States made up of being the Friday night MMA fights. Yeah, yeah. it is. That's partially why the LFA has become, you know, essentially the feeder system for the UFC is because they've locked down that slot. So for those regional shows who have been smart enough to take advantage of every single day of the week bravo to you because that's what you have to do when the UFC is putting on events every single weekend do you think
0: that's why um bellator i know they've moved most of their recent events to friday nights and i know they've got a tv deal over there in america but um do you think that's also a reason because they used to be putting on events saturday evenings um and sometimes there'd be a clash, do you think they've maybe seen that there's an opportunity on the Friday nights to maybe avoid going to head-to-head with, say, the UFC
2: with certain cards? I think that's precisely right. I think that that is, um, they have figured out A strategic way to coexist with the UFC, and that is to not compete with them for viewership at the same exact time, right? Um, They're going to lose to that at least for the foreseeable future. So Mm -hmm. to put something on Friday night, i.e. tonight, right, pretty soon Bellator is going to be on – as well as PFL, right? So they're doing the same type of thing. Um, it's a great strategic move. It probably has something to do with the new TV deal that they're under. I think it's, what is it, Paramount that the Bellator works with now? Um, I believe
0: so. Over here, they've actually um, sealed quite a big deal with uh, BBC, uh, which is, as you know, they're worldwide. Um, but their fights are now streaming on BBC iPlayer, and there's a lot more coverage of Bellator and MMA on BBC's website so I mean that's a huge move for MMA and for Bellator in particular to have um that sort of platform to air their their sport on a weekly basis is is huge particularly for the UK market
2: I'd say certainly yeah so I think it has something to do with the cable structure that's there too um but I'll say this it's it's a smart move for an organization that has uh, a, a lot of funding and is taking their best shot to coexist in this space. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I think there's enough there's enough uh, sand in the sandbox for a couple kids to play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with us as being fans, I mean, we're all in this in this industry in some capacity. You guys, from a you know, an editorial journalism standpoint you know, me from a manager standpoint, but we're all fans at the end of the day, right? So um, I could watch MMA every single day. I could watch it in whatever platform as long as the production quality is good. And and Bellator and the UFC and PFL are doing just that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I, You know, I think cage warriors do the same. You know, they've got events on um, on a Thursday night. They've got events on a Sunday night. You know, they do do some Saturdays, but you know, I, I think because they're an organisation that feeds in with the UFC um, I also know obviously in the UK they're running events in UK time and so they're not directly competing obviously with the US times on a Saturday night so you can watch uh, you know, a Cage Warriors event have maybe an hour or two and then you're straight into a UFC event live if you want to stay up that late because of the time difference so I suppose it's a little easier for some of the UK organisations but because you know, Cage Warriors are on the Fight Pass platform and, you know, they talk about feeding into the UFC and there's probably some synergy between those two companies directly. Um, you can see that they are, you know, they're, they're, in a sense, you know, the Cage Warriors are feeding off the success of, of the UFC and not trying to compete with them. So, you know, there's, there's, there's food at the table for everybody, isn't there?
0: I think it's interesting as well when you think about other MMA organisations and obviously logistically what happened there might, there might be a few reasons, but if you think back to Strikeforce and the WEC, um, and I don't, I don't know if they were directly competing against the UFC or what happened, but um, for one reason or another, they, they don't seem to, you know, they're not around anymore. And I think what the points we've touched on is finding a way to sort of not tiptoe around the UFC, but as um, Matt said, coexist. Um, I think uh, they've learned their lesson, let's say.
2: Yeah. And I think with Strikeforce and WEC, and by the way, I grew up watching WEC. I actually knew WEC even before I knew the UFC um, because it was on cable for me as I was growing up. And, you know, I mean, the Dominic, you know, Cruises and, and Uriah Fabers, I mean, I, Again, I, it's wild to think that I, you know, they they fight on the same card as some of my 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 clients right now because I felt like I was a kid when I was watching that. But you know, those organizations did well enough to get the UFC's attention, and both of them were acquired by the UFC. Right, mm-hmm. um, so. You know, that's, that's what ended up happening with them. Will Bellator, will PFL get there? I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's their ultimate business goal, right? If they, if they want to act as separate entities or if they're in it for, you know, getting to a certain level and then, you know, merging um, and combining to create this incredibly large MMA platform, um, you know, I think it's up to them.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I suppose it's like... Um... I suppose it's like football or like soccer, you know, in the UK, you know, there's, everyone watches the Premiership, but they'll also follow other teams and, you know, they'll be watching other teams and it's a slightly different structure, but, you know, just because you watch Premiership doesn't mean you can't watch the Championship or it doesn't mean you can't go and, and, and watch something, you know, lower down the, the sort of scale or even just be playing yourself, you know, it, it doesn't exclude you from any of those things. Um And, you know premiership clubs you know stage their games um in line with sort of tv you know because tv rights they stage their games so they're not clashing Mm -hmm. so they're all trying to take a slice and if you want to watch all of them that's fine (laughs) do that as well (laughs) it doesn't detract you know like you know lighting a candle off another one doesn't detract the light from the first one exactly do it all so going back to um You know you're talking about uh, some of your clients and how far does that how how does that work when you're representing athletes um what's the initial process you know do they do they approach you um based on your existing clients and reputation or do you seek them out Where, where does that start
2: yeah there's no there's no one answer to that question um oftentimes clients will get referred um because you know dodge sports will we'll do a good job for that fighter. We'll negotiate a great contract. We'll get them, you know, um, ideal fights, uh, matchups, things of that nature. Um, so oftentimes referrals will happen. Um, but we also spend a tremendous amount of time every single week, my entire team, where we analyze fight footage of prospects. And we even go back as far as, you know, one fight amateurs to see if we can find, you know, the next, the next superstar. Um that's in there because we all have great fight IQ as it relates to watching fighters and seeing what they do well, what they don't do well, what is um fixable, what is a bad habit, what is not fixable, right? So we can tell pretty quickly after watching, even just a couple minutes of fight footage where somebody stands. And truth be told, that's one of my favorite parts of the job because I love MMA so much. Um is I I love analyzing new talent and and then reaching out and you know letting them know what separates us and 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 why they should bring on a management in the first place, but then also why they should bring on Dodge Sports versus you know all of the other management companies that are out there today. Um, it's 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 really a hybrid, but we take a lot of pride in in finding those uh, you know those uh, those. Unfound gems that are out there um, in in terms of you know their fighting style and just haven't been haven't been uh, shined up yet and, and shown to the world.
1: Great, right, yeah. So so off that, is there anyone out there that you'd really love to work with, or, or conversely, uh, not want to work with, and why? <laughs>
2: um, so so for us, loyalty is key, um, and we attract a, a certain level of human being, right? So the number one criteria, when we, when we recruit, uh, or sign men or women is we need to, we need to connect on that human level. We need to have the same, um, you know, this, the same values, right? We, we need to make sure that they're good human beings first. The talent is second. So if somebody is phony, or if somebody is, you know, just doing it for the show, or for the Instagram picture, or for truth beyond, truth be told, the money, right, and not necessarily the journey and the process and what, you know, and and, and just and and achieving the highest levels of this sport. We won't work with them. So, you know, I I can't name anybody off the top of my head, but I'm sure we all know some of those people that are in, you know, the UFC or Bellator that don't stand for those types of things. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes you'll see they'll be switching managers left and right um, because they're looking for the next best thing um, versus just, you know, settling and trusting the process on something. Mm -hmm. So we want to work with those people who, we'll trust that process, we'll be good human beings because at the end of the day, we can't be uh, the one who goes in the cage, right? And that person who we represent is a direct representation of our agency and Dodge Sports and me personally. So to the matchmakers, to Dana White, to Rich Chow at Bellator, whoever it is, whoever we sign off on and put in that ring or that cage, excuse me, we need to make sure that they're going to make weight that they're going to do everything that they say that they're going to do from a contractual standpoint. And if they win, they're classy. And if they lose, they're even classier. Um, so we try to suss all of that out um, early on in the process uh, with a lot of our, our questioning and, you know, our, our pre-recruitment uh, tactics.
1: I mean, that's interesting you mentioned some of those things because I think it's um, it highlights something about the fight industry, um, you know, more recent in more recent years, and when you talk about those contractual arrangements, and you know, turning up for press conferences, and you know, um, being gracious, being perhaps courteous with you know administrative staff, and and so on as well, and not being. Um, well, I used to work in in football, in in soccer, in in the UK, and and we talk about some of the young guys coming through who, who haven't actually got a pro contract yet, but they would be walking around as if they were. You know, they were walking around as if they're, they're a big deal. And we used to refer to them as being big time. And it's what we used to say to me, He says, Oh, he's big time. And that was an insult because it meant he thought he was big time. He wasn't actually big time. Right. If someone's actually big time. You know, you don't need to mention it. And they don't need to tell everyone how great they are when they turn up because everybody knows it. Um, and so it is about, I think, well being professional, isn't it? And it's a professional sport. And Um, There's layers to that now, I suppose, with your contractual arrangements, aren't there, with your with promoters and so on?
2: Completely. I mean, um, look, we we have to represent each of our fighters individually here. Right. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, this is they're they're employed. They're employed by these organizations. And, you know, you wouldn't show up to work late. You wouldn't uh, show up to work uh, unprofessional or, or, you know, drunk or, or anything like that. And if, and if you didn't get your way, you wouldn't kick and scream and cry and, and moan, right, in, in a regular work environment. So why would the fight game be any different, right? These are your bosses. These are people who, um, you know, can put you in positions to be successful. We want to make sure that, you know, obviously they're being treated appropriately and, and right? But that they're showing you know the values that that we saw in them when we were bringing them on um again because it's a it's a direct representation of us at the end of the day if 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 a fighter is successful, they'll fight for ten or fifteen years right and that's a lot longer than you know the n f l perspective on things when the average career is two and a half years right so you've got a long working relationship here, but the agency itself too is going to be working with these promoters and these these organizations for 50 years to come and maybe even more right and this is a very very close-knit individuals i mean look at the ufc the guys who are ufc have been very very long long time right and uh you know you 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 don't want to do anything that um that is insulting to them, or makes them look at you or any of your fighters differently. So we need we make sure that that our our, our clients just you know uh, use those values and uh, present themselves in the best way possible to represent us.
0: That, that, that leads us on... on. Sorry, sorry, John. Did you want to? No, me? no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, That actually leads us on quite well to um, the next question. So a big talking point in MMA at the moment is fighter pay, particularly in the UFC. What do you make of it? And what can you do to ensure your fighters are being treated as fairly as possible?
2: Yeah, I think this is tough for some agencies. Um, And the reason for that is because there are some agencies that have 200 UFC fighters on their roster right? Mm. So they take a, a qu- quantity over quality approach, right? It's not about negotiating the best deal. It's about negotiating the most deals for their agents. right? So we as Dodge Sports look at it completely differently. And that's by design, right? So we look at each of our fighters on a case-by-case basis. And we do our analysis and make sure that they are being appropriately paid for where they stand in the current UFC rankings or their fights or how many wins or losses they have, which I think makes our agency uh, quite different than a lot of the other ones. Now, with respect to pay, this is what I'll say. I will say that mixed martial arts fighters are the, it's the hardest I would say that it is the hardest professional sport to do because it's the only professional sport where you need to also watch your weight, right? And weight is almost more important than the fight itself because if the weight is wrong, you miss the weight cut, you do it incorrectly, you're not going to fight well. So it is a 24-7, 365 job, and I hope someday soon that the fighters will get compensated fairly for that specific thing in particular. Now, I'll I'll put an asterisk next to that because I understand that the UFC right now is not as established as the NFL is, Major League Baseball, you know, hockey, whatever it may be. It simply hasn't been around in a, you know, in a formal traditional sense as long as those organizations have. So I think we're close to being at a point where fighters will get compensated even more. Um, for this and and get it a little closer to what I think is is necessary there. But I will say a lot of these organizations take care of their fighters in other ways. You hear Dana White talk about in his, his press conferences a lot, yeah, we took care of them, we took care of them, right? I know that firsthand that that is true for a lot of the fighters, right? There's a close decision loss or something of that nature, or you know someone gets gets doesn't get a bonus that probably should have, right? Uh, the UFC and a lot of the other organizations, even Bellator, uh, ACAs, a lot of the other ones, they take care of their fighters with respect to that. So there's a little bit more behind the scenes that's happening there. And I know it has been a a source of a lot of debate lately, but I think we'll get there. I just think in due time.
0: Why do you think so many fighters are coming out? I mean, do you think it's because one's done it, the other has, um, do they feel that, comparatively how much the UFC are making to how much the athletes are being paid there's a massive disparity uh, between that because it's not necessarily the guys at the bottom or at the middle you you, you know your John Joneses your, your people at the top of the food chain uh, per se are the ones coming out and do you think that's just a combination of things of them looking at other sports and looking at what the UFC are making and What's your take on that in terms of, uh, sure, say your John Joneses and your your people at the top having yeah, issue I, with that.
2: My take on that is so this this entire vanity boxing, right? I call it vanity boxing, which is your Logan Pauls and things that are happening, right, where they're getting paid, you know, tens of millions of dollars for their fight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the vanity boxing. Say se, and the pay-per-views and all of that. If somebody is willing to pay money to see you, specifically you, fight, then you should be compensated for that, right? Um, with respect to the UFC, I think a lot of these guys who are coming out might think that they are worth more than they are um, because of the simple stance of, is somebody how can you equate is somebody going to be paying that pay-per-view to watch you or are they paying that pay-per-view to watch the ufc card right how many people bought the logan paul pay-per-view fight to watch the undercard nobody right i
0: I, I don't know anyone on the undercard.
2: exactly i think it was lamar odom and right it's like it's it's a bunch of other celebrities but no one's really buying it for that right so if you're able to justify and you're able to directly correlate where some of these pay-per-view dollars are coming from, then I don't think there's any problem with somebody asking for a little bit more money. Right. But I did hear, for instance, like Francis Ngannou come out uh, with a tweet and said, you know, why did I get only $200,000 from my last mm-hmm. fight? of the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, and Logan Paul made 20 million. The The simple answer to that question is Logan Paul has millions of people that want to see him. Um, where Francis Ngannou might have a couple hundred thousand, right? Mm. Um, so I, 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 would draw it, I would draw it to that specifically, and I think a lot of these high-up guys are saying that because they're fighters. They're real fighters, right? They're putting, it, they're putting their bodies, their minds, everything on the line, and they want to be compensated the same as they see somebody on, uh, on the other side in boxing, in vanity boxing, getting paid. It's just, it, unfortunately, you're comparing apples and oranges.
0: It's interesting that you touched on that because we've got a few questions later on um, about this vanity boxing, as you call it. But um, I'll save those for a little bit later.
1: Yeah, I just want to um, <clears throat> come back on to uh, the, the money question for a moment. But, I, I, yeah, I will agree with you. you. You're comparing different things. You're comparing sport with entertainment. And there is a Venn diagram where it crosses over in the middle. But, um, yeah, there's a big difference between what people pay for and, and how you can justify that, that market. It doesn't make it credible. just means that people buy it. You know? So, um, yeah, so one of the things about fighters that's kind of happened in the past, and it's not just in MMA, it's across the board with combat sports, is it's been suggested that they don't, historically, they don't tend to handle their financial situation well on a whole. Um, so are there any steps in place to educate or advise or support up-and-coming athletes to invest in their future? Are Absolutely.
2: You that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that is a very important service that we offer. Um, we've partnered with a lot of great financial institutions at Dodge Sports that are actually unrelated to us. We don't manage the fighter's money. I think what happens oftentimes is when people get in trouble, it's because they have one party Doing everything for them, and if that party is you know not on the straight and narrow, that's when you can get into some trouble. You know, look at the Don Kings of the World and why Mike Tyson has to do what he has to do today to earn a living because you know he was surrounded by people that didn't have his best interest and they had their own best interest, and there was too much control on some of these uh, these managers' part. So with respect to us, we separate church and state. We think we love specialization. We are not the experts in everything that is going to make you successful as a as a client. We are experts in contract negotiations, in marketing deals, and you know, from a fight booking standpoint. But we're gonna align you with the right people to help from a financial planning standpoint. And, you know, those individuals then that's their core competency. They talk to the fighters, they get risk, you know, tolerance levels, whatever they want to invest in, they talk about strategies. And oftentimes, those things are actually outside of our conversations, right? But we still offer it. And we connect to those individuals that we feel are trustworthy. And we want to represent us and our brand, even though we're not the ones doing it. So it's a huge part of, um, you know, the services that we offer. And, It is something that I wish more fighters asked their managers about um, because you want to be setting yourself up for the future. And if you do things right, you really can. You you really can.
1: Yeah, I mean, going on from that, you know, you you talk a lot of sense there. If if you were giving like a mentoring seminar to young fighters or guys coming through, what would be your your pearls of wisdom or your, your three takeaway points you give fighters entering the fight game?
2: It's a great question. Um, number one, do your research. So uh, what I mean about that is do your due diligence, ask fighters who are represented by some of these management groups, how they think things are going. What have they done for you? What's the best thing? And what's the worst thing? Right? Ask these fighters that, because I'll, I promise you that is going to be the way that you're going to learn the most about the manager that you choose is through, it's, it, through their clients and ask a few of them, get a large group, a large sample size of people. They're willing to share the good and they're damn sure willing to share the bad, right? Because when you get fooled, you don't want others to get fooled by things as well, right? So I would say, number one, do your due diligence, do your research, Number 2 trust your gut. I think if you're a, if you're a, a you know if you're if you're feeling some type of way about someone and something feels too good to be true, it probably is, right? Um so trust your gut on those types of things. Use your mind versus, right? Like use your mind versus your heart or what people are telling you to do. Like think long and hard about this decision. Um and then lastly, be patient because this game is not going to come to you right away. And there are going to be times where you suffer defeat and there are going to be difficult times. And you're not on this straight and narrow path upward, right? There's sometimes, you know, plateaus that you have to deal with, but if you have the right people around you, people who have your best interest at heart and love you and, you know, want to see the best for you, even outside of your professional career and your ability to throw punches and throw kicks and get takedowns and, you know, all of that, then you're going to be just fine and you're going to get through it and process might take a little bit longer, but you're going to get to where you need to be if you trust the process. So I think those would be the three that I would say. That's great.
1: I think there's some definite pearls of wisdom some people could take on board there.
0: Great stuff, Um, and it's something we touched on earlier. You referred to it as vanity boxing. Uh, So it's something that seems to be very common now. We've got uh, Askren that fought Jake Paul. Woodley has now decided to follow suit. He probably saw the paycheck and thought, uh, bingo. Now, do you think this is beneficial or detrimental to the sport of
2: MMA and why? I don't think it's beneficial or detrimental. Um, I think, like I said earlier, I think it's apples and oranges. At the end of the day, we're talking about two different sports, right? Um, You're going to have your boxing fans that love boxing and hate MMA. And you're going to have your MMA fans that love MMA and hate boxing. There actually really isn't a lot of crossover, believe it or not. I'm actually one of them that's not a crossover. Uh, And most people that I know... You really like one or the other because they conflict a little bit with with what they do um, and the scoring and how things are. So it's hard to like both of them. So I actually don't think vanity boxing hurts uh, MMA or benefits MMA. I think vanity boxing is killing regular boxing i think nobody is going to watch errol spence jr fight anymore and errol spence jr is probably not going to get the kind of money he once could have because there's all this interest in vanity boxing now so think of any celebrity on the planet who's ever done anything you throw them in a ring you put gloves on them right you let them train a little bit so they don't look like a fish out of water and you get in there and you get your kicks out of it right it's entertainment as you said which I have no problem with, you know, if you you're paying money for a Netflix subscription because you want to be entertained, it's OK to pay money for a pay-per-view boxing because you want to be entertained. Right. So I have no problem with it. I actually just think it's I think it's killing regular boxing.
0: It's funny. It's just when you're talking about this whole van, it just made me think of Celebrity Death Match when you're totally.
2: thinking of this is <laughs> yeah, nothing. This yeah any celebrity Ill, it?
0: in there. and it's just i guess from you know a mma fighter's point of view i guess how it can benefit them is status you know for someone that doesn't watch mma um you know there'll be millions of eyes on this particular bout let's say and i guess from their profile point of view there might be a benefit in that but i guess for the sport itself yeah i, I agree with you i can't see how it can be beneficial or detrimental. So let's see, let's see um, how long this lasts for anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean it, it takes me back to uh I think Muhammad Ali for is it Antonio Noki? um was that back in the 70s? Oh, Which well. was like wrestler versus boxer, and that was um that was a spectacle, but probably for all the wrong reasons, really, you know, and Ali got got kicked a lot and <laughs> ended up in hospital afterwards, but Kind of didn't know what was going on, so th- those things aren't aren't new. I suppose putting two different um, two different fighters together. But I suppose the celebrity thing. It's um, I suppose it is indicative of uh, the sort of media culture at the moment, isn't it? I wonder how long it will last.
2: Yeah, I think it'll last as long as people are on YouTube and care about these types of things. Right? Social media has absolutely exploded over the last ten years. Um, you know, most of the people that you're seeing today. You know, uh, in in these vanity boxing matches, have a very very large online social media presence where you know they can get people to to buy a pay per view. So I think it'll last as long as social media is um, the default. Uh, <laughs> wake up and open up your apps and 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 look at that stuff. Uh, when culture changes a little bit like that, and we realize that we're wasting a lot of time doing that, and it really doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, the amount of likes you get and the amount of comments you have really doesn't make you a better or worse person. Um, then I think this stuff will all, will all change and and it'll go back to a little bit more of a, you know, uh, authentic sport um, versus this, you know, this vanity entertaining.
1: So on a slight, slight different note to that, what do you make of the Anderson Silva Chavez Jr. fight? Um, you know, will, will that change the, the tide in any way for, for MMA fighters going in, into over, over to boxing? Do you think? You know, and what do you make of that event?
2: I think it absolutely. I mean, I think many of these fighters now will, will take their opportunity to based on the fact that they are quote the fighters right the mma fighters and everybody wants to see you know them versus whomever, right so with respect to that i think we're going to see a whole lot more fighters transitioning from mma to boxing and look we're also going to see more mma fighters transition to wrestling professional wrestling i'm hearing reports that daniel cormier is going to go over to the wwe right and do those types of things there's just a lot of opportunity for them and now that the path has been paved in both of those sports, I just think it's going to happen more and more.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had, well, what, what do we have? Uh, Ken Shamrock back in the day, um, you know, transitioning between professional wrestling and MMA in and Japan and, and the US. And then obviously, most famously, Brock Lesnar. Um, but yeah, I think there's, um, I, you could see the attraction, can't you, to transfer over to professional wrestling, certainly um so going going back 10 years or so james tony famously um transferred over to mma uh to fight randy couture that was um that was a sort of um a very short lived foray wasn't it into that do you think we'll see those sort of single style fighters like boxers moving over into mma i mean we we talked about the the, the migration to some degree the opposite direction do you think that that trend goes both ways, or do you think it's, it's an uphill struggle um, for some of those single style fighters to move over?
2: The trend goes both ways. Clarissa Shields is a good example of that with the PFL right now. It was nice to see her get her win, uh, I think a week ago, um, from boxing over and transitioning to MMA. Look, one of the things that we look for when we're recruiting is we look for a strong core competency in one style. Right. So that could be your division one wrestler with, you know, that was an all American the University of Arkansas. Right. Um, And so that means you have that core competency when things get tough to bring to the ground. We also will look at guys who have had boxing experience. It doesn't even have to be all that successful boxing experience, but just understanding, you know, body positioning and the way to strike and whatnot i have a great story as it relates to that so andre yule is one of the clients that 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 we represent and he is a bantamweight in the ufc right now he's going to be fighting at the end of july uh julio arce yule is a very but andre yule boxer he fought some of the best boxers early on in his career and lost very close decisions to them. Guys that are now 22 and 2, 28 and 0, right? Guys that have, are very, very, very good, right? But if you look at his, his record from a boxing standpoint, you would think he has no business fighting. Yet he transitioned perfectly into it because he had the right mental state. He was an amazing boxer. He just had to fight some of the best guys that there were. So he has that core competency now that he transitions in, and he's the best boxer in the bantamweight division right now, right? So I definitely think that we're going to see more and more of that transition, and it doesn't even need to be at the highest levels. I think you're going to see guys who you know, maybe even just have amateur experience there or some level of professional experience transitioning over
0: right great and touching on another point we uh, addressed earlier in the show talking a little bit about the pandemic and obviously it was being very tough for pretty much most businesses in particular professional sport how badly did the pandemic impact your work and how did you change and adapt during that period
2: yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So fortunately, MMA and some of the organizations just kind of rode that, that tide and, and figured it out. Um, what we were able to do was kind of shift focus a little bit more towards the social media angle for our fighters and secure some endorsements and marketing deals because we knew that during the pandemic, a lot of eyes were on You know, the TV screen and the the computer screen and the the phone, right? So there was a lot of opportunity for uh, companies like supplement companies, clothing companies, um, you know, CBD companies to just get unreal exposure through some of our fighters. And we worked out some great marketing deals so that our fighters could be compensated while they weren't fighting. Now, on the flip side, the worst part of the pandemic for us was the travel restrictions. We represent a lot of US-based fighters. However, we also represent a lot of Canadians. And um, the Canadians that we represented um, didn't have the ability to move freely between the borders of Canada and the United States, which of course was an issue uh, because we couldn't have them fight, right? Um, or we had to work out a plan where, you know, they would quarantine for 14 days after they got back and have to pay thousands of dollars in a hotel for the quarantine. So we figured out a way to keep the, 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 the progress of these careers going by being a little bit more flexible and a little bit more nimble and creative with sponsorships. And then also just, you know, taking a little bit of it on the chin as it relates to some of the, the fees that were associated with traveling. Um, so we, we we just we dug deep and, and we figured it out. And now we're on the end of it and we're on the other side looking back. And, you know, for most of our fighters, they were able to stay active in the pandemic and were pretty darn successful with their fights.
0: That's great to hear. And I'd imagine it's probably one of the most challenging times of your work um adapting as you say and thriving through that talking more day-to-day what 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 would you highlight as being the most challenging things about what you do um let's say pandemic aside obviously that would have been a big 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 challenge for you
2: so you know we can only control what we can control right and um with respect to these big organizations call it ufc bellator pfl Um, there's only so many spots in those fights. There's only so many opportunities, right? So one of the most challenging things with respect to my job is to, you know, constantly be on these matchmakers' minds so that when an opportunity does come up, they're strongly considering our fighters. And what that means is that we have to constantly be scouring the internet And, you know, stalking, in a sense, uh, fighters who are fighting on cards to see if they're getting hurt, to see if they're injured, to see if they're sick, to see if they're having travel issues, visa issues, so that we can be right up uh, as one of the first options that's being considered for a lot of these replacement fights. Right. Um, So that's one of the most difficult things, mainly because it's beyond your control for the most part. Right, and you're having to work a lot harder and a lot smarter for less opportunities that are out there.
0: So it doesn't just happen where um, a fighter in the UFC gets injured and the matchmakers on the phone to you straight away. He's like, Matt, we've got an opportunity. So you, you, there's a lot of um, you need to be on the front foot with a lot of this, is what
2: you're saying. Without a doubt, because think about it this way: let's say that you're the management group of John Smith, and John Smith gets hurt. Right, and he's gonna be fighting in two weeks and for the UFC. You're gonna be the first that manager is gonna be the first person to know that John Smith is injured, right? So Mm. he's probably going to say, Hey, UFC, John Smith's injured, but good news is I got Steve Carroll, and Steve Carroll is even better and he's thirteen and one and he's ready to go and his weights on point. And the UFC says, Okay, that works. That's a that's a fine replacement, let's make it happen. Right? Mm. You're up against that if you're not doing a lot of your, your own due diligence and seeing if somebody's not feeling right or hurt or there are visa issues or things like that. So that's why you have to be super, super creative and super persistent as it relates to these opportunities.
0: This actually also brings up another interesting point, really. I mean, I'd imagine you're obviously aware of other similar companies and organizations and individuals like yourself. Um, how how does that work that that relationship do you have friends that are you know in a similar position to you that are managers of other companies would they be like matt you know there might be an opportunity here or is it a bit more cutthroat than that you need to be ahead of the curve and um carry on doing some of the things you just mentioned how how does that relationship work between say one management company and another is there any relationship there
2: so uh i'll speak from from my own experience I, I mm. have a couple friends um who th- we do these types of things, right We communicate, hey, there might be an opportunity. do you have anybody? we don't have anyone right yeah. um so that that does happen um, but I will say this i'll just call a spade a spade. This industry is very, very cutthroat, which I think you know further you know amplifies my earlier point about us bringing on fighters that you know, are loyal and, you know, stand for the same values that we stand for, because there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of sharks in the water. I'll say that, um, that are just looking for a payday that are just looking to give an opportunity to somebody that doesn't have their best interests at heart. So, you know, you're going to see just like any major sport, like this is no, the, the UFC and MMA managers, it's no different in that sense there are good managers, there are not so good managers, and then there are really, really bad ones. Um, you just got to kind of navigate, navigate your way through all of it and, uh, and make sure you still, you know, you come out of it, um, you know, still valuing the same things that you, you valued when you went into it.
1: Right. That's great. You, you talk a lot about, about values, and, and I notice that you're um you've been involved with some uh, philanthropic projects what what sort of things are you working on and what what drives that that aspect of, of what you do
2: yeah right now i mean we are doing anything we can to give back to you know the community of sports um i personally have a very close relationship to special olympics um I you know when I grew up uh one of my best friends uh had autism and um was the, the the thing that he loved the most was going to sports watching it uh being a part of it right so we're doing a lot uh of of kind of charitable work with those individuals we're actually starting to get involved with a great organization down here um in South Florida that, uh, helps, uh, children with autism and ki- ki- teens with autism, men and women, uh, helps them with boxing and being more active. Um, so, you know, we're, 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 that, that's a, that's a thing that's really near and dear to, to our heart. And we just want to give back in, in any sense we can. And we've got a couple fighters on the roster, Andre Yule in particular, who does a lot for the homeless in the state of California. Uh, believe it or not, Andre was about to be homeless before he got the UFC call. It's an absolutely amazing story. I mean, he was about to get evicted from his home uh, three days before we got him signed to the UFC. He was able to use that contract to get an extension from the bank and be able to stay. And you know, he knows how close he was to that, which is why he wants to give back. So we've got some great fighters who are you know working with some great causes that, that mean something to them.
1: that's tremendous to hear always isn't it you know it's um to have that integrity at all levels it's um it's a good foundation to build on isn't it with somebody
0: yeah absolutely great to hear and you touched on some of um your future plans there is anything else um that we can look out for from dodge sports coming um you know going forward or is it just more of the same
2: yeah, no, we, we, we hey, you, if you don't change, you die, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So you need to, you need to always be thinking about the next big thing. Um, for us, it's about becoming more than just an agency, it's about helping and taking care of and putting our fighters and our clients in positions to be successful in life beyond just MMA. So, you know, a lot of that comes from the financial planning, which we're starting to do a lot of now. Um, A lot of that also comes with just the networks that we have um, to bring them here to the United States to, you know, introduce them to opportunities that they can start to utilize outside of fighting. Um, You know, we're also starting to get uh, a little bit more, uh, invested in some other sports that dodge sports will start to uh, to to have some clients in i think there's a lot of as we start to talk about boxing and mma and wrestling and the synergies between all of them we've been thinking about the same thing and started to think about some other be even in movies and entertainment and things of that nature so out for for those types of things that will all uh, over the, next, I'd say, twelve months.
1: So, where can everyone find out more about Matt Dodge and Dodge Sports when they're interested?
2: Sure, we're mostly on Instagram, so it would be Dodge underscore Sports. Uh, that way, you can stay in touch with us uh, as an agency, me personally, and also just keep tabs on all of the great fighters that um, are going to be fighting here in the next couple months. One thing I will say for any of the listeners that you all have on this podcast, uh, they can also reach out to me if anyone has any questions about the MMA management game, uh, any questions about Dodge Sports, or just any questions in general and want some feedback. I am more than happy to share with any of the listeners on this podcast.
0: And hopefully we'll see you uh, building your UK clientele as well.
2: Um, I'm excited. Michael would love it.
1: Yeah, well, as well. Ne- next time you're in the UK, you should give us a shout, and we'll catch up.
0: And, uh, I'd love it. Yeah. That'll be great, Matt. Well, thanks a lot for your time, and we'll uh, we'll be in touch soon.
2: Thank you both. I appreciate it. Take next care, you along, thanks. gentlemen. Take, take, take care. care. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.